0: Welcome, everyone, to another great edition of our Life with Breath Expert Series. I'm your fearless leader, Ed Harold. Today, we're joined by an amazing human being who has so much wisdom and knowledge to share with you. You're going to get so much out of this. We have Dr. Kevin Boyd with us, so welcome him with an open heart and open mind, and taking this information in, in regard to your health, wellness, performance, in regard to ev- your life, and every cell of your body. Hello again, friends. We have one of the all-time greats in our presence for the next space of time in our life. So let's get focused and centered so we can really tap in to Kev's message today. So if we could just take a minute or two and just unplug from the external world, take a few moments just to meditate in the inner landscape that is the foundation of who we are. So if we could just slow our breath down, release and relax your eyes back into the sockets. Drop the low jaw off the upper jaw a fraction of an inch and allow the top of the tongue to rest on the upper palate. And as you begin to slow down this process of inhale, let me gently move the skull left to right up and down and try to find the perfect spot where the skull can rest on top of the occipital ridge. And notice the perfection of this moment for yourself. If there's any tension in the shoulders, the chest, the upper back, see if you can release that with the next few breaths and center your heart in the middle of your intellectual mind. I'm inviting you to breathe with your diaphragm, slowly filling the lower lobes of the lungs first and gently letting each breath rise to the collarbone. On the exhale, letting go and drawing the navel back to the spine. Allow the exhale to be longer than the inhale. And just for the next minute or so, when the inhale is complete, hold the breath in for a two count. And when the exhale is complete, hold the breath out for a two count. Sense more breathing channels opening up in the mind and body. And then maybe inhaling 5% more than you normally do. Exhaling 5% longer than you normally do without straining. And just using that brief little two count to still and silence the mind's eye and ear. Beautiful work everyone. You can begin to deepen your breath, let your eyes open, reconnect yourself to this space, and we have the amazing Dr. Kevin Boyd, he is a pediatric dentist in Chicago. He is an attending instructor in the pediatric dentistry residency program at Lori Children's Hospital, where he serves as a dental consultant to the sleep medicine service. His clinical focus is centered on prevention of oral and systemic disease through promotion of healthy breathing and eating. His primary research interest is in the area of infant and early childhood feeding practices and how they impact the palatial facial development and nausea respiratory competence and neurocognitive development. Welcome, Kev, to today's program.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, how? 1995, you started this. 25. Yeah, years ago. we've
0: been around a while. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, and you were a professional athlete, you said? I was a professional marathon swimmer when I was a kid. I would go out in, in the a- water for hours. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, um,
1: I don't know. Where do you want to start, Ed? Uh, I, I wondered, tell, or tell me about your audience mainly. Um, what What is the walks of life that most people who tune in to your uh, platform, like, where do they come from?
0: Age range,
1: stuff like that.
0: Yeah, what I think we want to focus on today is bringing parents to the stage of maybe a new level of awareness of what pediatric dentistry, where it's been, where it is now, the potential of where it can go in regard to optimizing our child's neural activity, optimizing the body. Now I understand you. You also went back to school for anthropology.
1: Well, I'm still still there, Rodney Dangerfield. Back to school. I uh, at, in my mid fifties, I started taking undergraduate courses in evolutionary biology and anthropology um, at Northeastern Illinois University, um, and I got halfway to a bachelor's degree. I didn't get any of this. Uh, obviously, neither did. Any of you, usually, uh, in medical or dental school, it's, it's not part of the curriculum. It's not considered a legitimate basic science. Uh, evolutionary biology isn't. Thus, we don't really learn how to think about um, evolutionary explanations for why disease happens and why there's so much of it now that coincides with uh, the effects of cultural industrialization that started about 200 years ago. Um, but we also live longer now. We don't live better necessarily for longer, but we live longer and there's more of us. So it's sort of uh, a two-edged, maybe three-edged sword uh, of what's happened with industrialization. But I'm really concerned about mostly how did tooth decay and gum disease happen? And after I sort of figured that out with the input of anthropologists, because they've known about it for decades, I started uh, applying my curiosity towards the need for an orthodontist. How come there was never a need for an orthodontist until about 250 to 300 years ago? Yet, anatomically modern humans have been around for almost 300,000 years. So, you know, what happened? Uh, that's, a, that's, that's what my curiosity stems from. And then I, based on my um, undergraduate you know, work in my 50s in in anthropology, Um, I was able to write a few abstracts with some of my professors. And it got me noticed uh, by Dr. Mariana Evans, who's uh, on the orthodontic faculty at Penn, uh, University of Pennsylvania. And she was always wanting to explore the skulls at the Martin Skull Collection at the University of Pennsylvania Museum. So she invited me to give a lecture in the orthodontic department and arranged for us to both uh, meet the curator of the museum uh, skull collection, Janet Monge. And she invited us both to be visiting scholars. And that was eight years ago. And we've been working there ever since.
0: So, if I, if I, can, if I understand this correctly, here you are hanging out in Chicago, dentist, taking care of kids. And there appears to be patients that are coming to you with issues that triggered this curiosity of why is there a predominant predominant structure in these children that are coming in that seems to be different, that's impeding health, and you trace it back to the skeletal framing members and history?
1: Well, it, it's kind of, that, that's on the track uh, of it, Ed, but. Uh, I remember a seminal moment in uh, 2007 where I attended a symposium that was conducted by a epidemiologist periodontist, gum specialist uh, named Philippe Hujol, uh He's from Belgium and he showed one slide of a tooth decay of a prehistoric, you know, person. And he said, you know, you can look at this and know without any radiometric dating or x-rays or anything, if there's decay on more than a few teeth, that means that skull is less than 10,000 years old. Well, how do you know that? Because he goes, that's when agriculture was discovered. And he was right. I, at first I thought, that's BS. There's no way I would have learned that in dental school if that's true. And that was before quick, you know, fact checking on my phone. And when I got home and did, you know, I read Weston Price and and I got turned on to all kinds of things. The anthropologists have known this connection for decades, yet I, a board-certified pediatric dentist, didn't have a clue about it. And at first I was angry, and then I turned that anger into more curiosity, and now here I am. uh, And, you know, I get to talk about it all the time to nice people like you that have great audiences that are curious. so that's kind of how it started. Tooth decay became other things.
0: It seems like a really deep rabbit hole, and it can it can go as far down as we want to take it. What what are what are the, some of the steps that you're taking today to make adjustments in the structure of the face and the airway, and and how is that different than how you were? treating patients when you came out of medical school? Dental school. Dental school. Um, yeah. Much
1: more prestigious than medical school, by the way. Thank Not you. I'm too. sorry. <laughs> 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 it's like Michigan or Michigan State, right? Okay. So here's here's what happened. I, I trained at the University of Iowa in the mid-80s because they had a very prestigious and advanced program in treating orthodontics early because it's been known for over a hundred years that when you can pick up a jaw that's too narrow and there's no chin forward, you know, retronathia, if you see that at age two and perhaps even in utero, it will reliably persist into later childhood, adolescence. And if it's not corrected in early childhood, it can turn into something really nasty
0: in terms of you might have to have
1: teeth pulled and all that, so airway didn't even enter into the conversation. And and I learned my cephalometrics and growth and development, those are the sciences of, of measuring a kid's jaw growth. Um, I learned it from Professor Samir Bashara, who is a famous orthodontist who taught the orthodontic department. Well, I'm a pediatric dentist, but they really made it part of the pediatric dental curriculum, and we were one of the few in the country at the time, and that's why I wanted to go there uh, to take classes with the orthodontic residents. So I left with the mandate that if you're going to be treating orthodontics, you're going to do it according to American board of orthodontic standards. Mm-hmm. So I, I always took it very seriously, but we really start treating these kids. till maybe seven or eight years, because the American board of Orth- the American association of orthodontics say you shouldn't see kids till seven. Well, now seven is a geriatric patient in my practice. All right. I'm seeing these wow. kids at. uh, at birth, you know, sometimes at birth, I'm looking at midgestational ultrasounds of fetal profiles, and I'm at least starting to address expanding their jaws by 30 months of age, two and a half. That's when they have 20 teeth, and that's in medical and dental literature all the way past 100 years ago. That physicians Amazing. and dentists were working together to solve nasal respiratory issues by expanding the jaws, not to create straight teeth and cosmetics. It was in a unbelievable. I can show you a hundred papers, and and I'm publishing book chapters now, and I'm quoting that old research uh, that that needs to be paid attention to. Um, usually, it's poo-pooed by the orthodontic profession. Oh, those aren't random control prospective trials. Do You know when random controlled uh, trials started after no. World War II? After World War II, you know how did cholera get discovered? E equals M C squared. Those weren't random controlled trials. Those were thought experiments. Those are observational studies. So that's, you know, one foundation that I really, that that's really the foundation of the rest of what I probably will talk to you about.
0: When you're speaking about expanding the jaw, you're talking about taking uh, the upper jawbone east and west, and the low jaw forward?
1: Perfect. I like that, east and west. That's really good. Um, yeah, absolutely, is that the if you lick your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you'll feel a line up there. That is the mid-palatal suture. It's like the soft spots on a baby's head, the fontanelle. Mm-hmm. It's a suture that can be stretched. There's no bone there. It's all cartilage in a little kid. Mm-hmm. And all the way up to you know adolescence and young adulthood, you can stretch that suture. So you can help make – and why would you do that? Well, not only to make room for the teeth that aren't in yet, the permanent teeth, the, the, the position of the teeth is a proxy for how much room there is for a tongue. And if there's not room for a tongue, and, and again, in our pre-industrial ancestors, if a child did not have room for their tongue in the first four years of life, they died. They did not survive childhood. Now children can survive childhood with crooked, you know, narrow jaws and crooked teeth and retronathic, jaws that are too far back that was a death sentence for children. That means they weren't nursed and weaned according to an ancestral pattern. And there's reasons for that. Famine was one of them. And if a mother died in childbirth, sorry, the kid's gone uh, because they can't nurse and wean. An ancestral pattern of nursing and weaning means on-demand breastfeeding for at least six to 10 months, followed by something called baby-led weaning, weaning onto firm and unprocessed wild foods, that parents were eating, that the kid, if they weren't eating everything in the tribe as hunter-gatherers for the first quarter of a million years of our existence, they died and they were left under a tree. They couldn't move on with the family unless they could eat everything that everyone else was eating. There was no Gerber baby food back then. So that's, that's one fundamental that every dentist and every pediatrician needs to understand. And it took me a long time that that rolls off my tongue as if I learned it yesterday. And I did, not it took me a long time.
0: That is just amazing because, you know, this is not the general, you know, message that you, that you hear coming out. Uh, you not yeah. When yet. I was a kid in 69, 70, 71, I went to the orthodontist because my parents wanted my street, my teeth to be straight and I could have a great smile and go out and make a million dollars and make everybody happy and the orthodontist i believe, was pulling my jaw back they're still doing and, it to, to create the straight teeth now and then like you just said if you're 7 years old you're, you're you're geriatric to you in what you're doing now so number one i was i was like 10 11 years old then and they were pulling my jaw back to straighten my teeth and now what you're saying is genius in regard to getting at the issues earlier on and creating the type of uh, structure that you want to see through the skeletal framing members of the face.
1: In in, in fact, you know, thank you, but I I didn't discover this and neither did any of my contemporaries. This is, I've uncovered literature, literally. The first expansion was done by a man named um, Edouard Augustus uh, Bogue, B-O-G-U-E, M-D-D-D-S practiced in London, Paris, Chicago, New York, and Boston, and limited his practice to kids under the age of six and expanded the deciduous arch, he called it, mm-hmm. uh, not to create irregularity, to, to fix irregularities of the teeth, but to improve nasal respiratory competence in children such that they would not suffer uh, recurrent apnea after adenoidectomies and to actually prevent a lot of tonsillectomies and adenoidectomies. By just expanding the deciduous arch. Um, and I, again, I will share all these references. I've published on this, but it's a rediscovered protocol. Physicians and dentists worked together incessantly prior to World War II. Prior to, and in, in, in really, uh, when all the white men who were all the physicians and dentists went off to war, came back, and coincidentally, it was all forgotten, and it was seen as more profitable to just invent more orthodontic appliances that you could put on permanent teeth, and to take out tonsils and adenoids. But you didn't necessarily need to cooperate. So that and that that isn't my hypothesis. That comes from a a, a very prominent uh, uh, ENT otolaryngologist, I believe, in Connecticut. Uh, whose name I won't mention until I get permission because he expressed that opinion to me. What the hell happened? And he said, here's what I think, Kev, follow the money. Uh, and he's he's published a beautiful article. Uh, you know what, I'm going to tell you who he is. Harold uh, Stupak, Howard Stupak, S-T-U-P-A-K. And just hit his name with gravitational forces. Uh, and and you can read his hypothesis that is predicated on Christian Gimeno. Uh, pediatric, uh, pediatrician, and uh, uh, I think he's a pulmonologist at Stanford, 1976, who discovered that children can get apnea. And and that is like, oh, you mean dogs can get diabetes? I mean, a mammal can get anything another mammal can get. Mm -hmm. And sleep apnea is just because adults got it. But in 76, he published a seminal paper that children can absolutely get sleep apnea. And uh, Karen Bonnick uh, at, NY, at NYU, uh, uh, Einstein Albert Einstein in the Bronx discovered that if a kid snores uh, prior to the age of uh, three or four years old, they're going to be at huge risk for ADD ADHD. Go figure! Uh, and then the connection between the shape of the jaw and snoring. Oh my gosh, make the connection. So uh, anyway. Sorry, I'll talk. Do people have questions? Are you going to monitor this, uh, Ed? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have a question now from Evelyn Wangs, and she heard what you just said and said, I wonder if that's why my son snored his entire life, and now he uses a crap machine, and he's 54 years old. Yeah, she means,
1: seep. that's a Freudian slip. Evelyn, I love it. I'm going to use it. It's a CPAP machine, but I I I like the R instead of the P for it follows EP. Uh, it's a, a, C, a crap machine. I love it. Um, yes, probably and really, what I do is I like to empower female caregivers who bring their kids to me because when I often will start to you you know tell them what I see and think out loud, I hear I thought so. And I was made to feel foolish by my pediatri- my kid's pediatrician. And you know what? The most powerful instinct on planet Earth is maternal instinct. They got something we don't have. Our Y chromosome gets in the way. That, that when a mother feels there's something wrong, we better listen. And I, you know what? I didn't do this my whole career. It, it really happened about 10 years ago when one woman in my practice said, you know what, Kev? You're a great dentist and all my friends come to you, but you suck at listening to me and and you need to manage my expectations better. And she scared the hell out of me. She's like four foot ten. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, listen to moms. That's
0: what I advise all my pediatric health care colleagues. I think that's that's sound science there, my friend.
2: I uh, I was jumping back on because I was listening to some of this and I wanted to show you. Um, based on some of what you were talking about, this might look familiar to you. This is me, right? You know,
1: I I think I've seen these.
2: I emailed these to you. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> like, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. You because guess what they did?
1: They they probably maybe took out your tonsils, then they pulled your teeth and they put you in headgear. Uh, so they
2: they I had eight teeth pulled. I had braces put on. Yeah. And then I had the procedure where they cut your jaw, slide it back, and had my mouth wired shut for eight weeks. I was in ninth grade.
1: Wow. Mandibular setback, it's called. And, you know, hopefully in my lifetime, that will become malpractice. Uh, You know, what we do now is the opposite we advance your upper jaw. Yeah. And leave your lower jaw alone or actually advance both your jaws, even though they told you your lower jaw was too far forward. You know, and MMA it's called, you know it, um, and Resumo had Larry Wolford in Dallas, they're the two uh most famous people uh, we refer everybody to. So
2: I wanted to to jump back in and show people that because um yeah. because you know, if there's parents out there that that are still hearing they need to do this um, for their kids. You know, they they need to get in touch with you. They need to do more education because while most of my life I was fine, I'm now 55 and you can probably see it. Maybe the average person can't, but my upper jaw is collapsing in. Um, My jaw here, I'm having some issues on this side and it's creating some headaches and stuff with my occiput. So, you know, this stuff is coming back now later. And thank God I have a breathing background because of my husband, but God knows what other things could be going on. So I've got to deal with things now.
1: The other thing, not only, you know, and that was, they did their best, you know, it just. Yeah. um, But in maxillomandibular advancement surgery, I do that for two, three, four and five-year-olds, but it's non-surgical it's called distraction and distraction is just when you stretch bones and yeah. then little kids, I be, I just say please to the bones and they just do what I want. It's like, it, it's really amazing. And it, it, the other thing is compliance. Well, you know, orthodontists, we don't learn about how to manage uh, anxiety in kids because we're, it's implied we're not going to see them until they're 12. So why should we have to learn that? So I, I say, don't blame your orthodontist. It's their curriculum. Yeah. That's, what's got to change. And the other thing is, that I've learned from the cultural anthropology aspect of my training is that children are hardwired, you know, the wild type of behavior is to not only be obstinate, okay, but to be obedient to the adult caregivers, the elders of the tribe. They want to please. So if a parent sees early dental, facial, orthopedic distraction, intervention is what I do, you know, gentle expansion, advancement, myofunctional therapy, eating hard foods, nursing and weaning like our ancestors. Those are all non-invasive interventions. And if a parent, especially a mom, sorry dads, that if you guys see this as a component of comprehensive wellness, caring parenting, the kid is going to do it. They're going to wear the pandemic masks. They'll wear the glasses. They'll wear the expanders because they want to please you. So I really, if a kid won't open their mouth, The first thing I say to that child is, you know what, honey, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do at Dr. Kev's office. I'm going to leave the room and mom and dad are going to take another day off of work in a few weeks and they're going to bring you back. And usually when I come back, the kid is open wide open and I don't (laughs) care that kid's been bribed to go to Disney or, you know, whatever. More often than not, that kid can't wait to open his mouth. And it's just a little trick I learned as a pediatric dentist 30 years ago. On how to kid get a kid to open up for their first dental exam. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: works. Orthodontists don't learn this. i but we're teaching them. And we're teaching dentists and you know, general dentists, family dentists, orthodontists, pediatric dentists all over the country. So, you know what? Put pressure on pediatric dentists and pediatricians that, you know what, you gotta start paying attention to my kids breathing. And the dentists look for more than cavities, look for sleep and breathing problems. Uh, and the ADA is fully supportive of it. So Glad you brought that up. That is a great testimonial of what happened to you, what they did to you, not for you. Right. Uh, Shame on them, (laughs) but it's not their fault. It's their curriculum. Get mad at their curriculum.
2: I know, And, and parents, my mother thought she was doing the right thing, right? She thought they were saying I was gonna have health issues down the road if she didn't do this. So she thought she was doing the right thing. So between parents, yeah. Um, you know, there's no point in having guilt. It's it's the awareness we had at the time, it's the level of consciousness uh, we had at the time.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I will tell parents because they'll say, Oh, my parents couldn't afford Orthodox. Well, if they're still alive or if they're not, drop something on their grave, but calm and thank them for not being able to afford Orthodox. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? you know, I mean, you die with straight teeth and you die, you know, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> you, want, you want to have the straightest teeth in the graveyard? Be my guest, you know. <laughs> If I sorry understand. oh my god i'm gonna get in trouble for that if there's orthodontics here.
0: <laughs> that's all right we're here to ruffle some feathers in a loving way <laughs> yeah.
1: not 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 uh comfort the afflicted but to afflict the comfortable that, yeah. that's one thing <laughs> i
0: that's there you go there's growth yeah yeah you know what what are we finding in regard to the structure of the face the structure of the teeth and you know how is this all tied into the brain well,
1: it, it has to do with oxygenation.
0: It really is.
1: Oxygen utilization. When you get on an airplane, mom or dad, and you got a baby next to you, what does the flight attendant tell you to do? Put it on the kid first, right? Of course not. Put it on yourself first Yeah. so you can help that kid. Well, for all nutrient substrates, including oxygen, I as, when I got my master's in nutrition and dietetics, I learned that h2o and o2 are nutrients not just vitamins minerals and trace elements and phytochemicals mm-hmm. but you know it's a respiratory substrate oxygen is it's the only substrate that the mother has priority for baby gets the most water and if you read about something called the Barker hypothesis and prenatal programming during the hunger winter of 1944 at the end of World War two that, that the Nazis, starved out the Dutch resistance because they were so savage at wiping out Nazism and ending the war. So the, the thing is um, they found that women who were starved because of the blockade of the Nazis who needed the ports to fuel their U-boats and everything is that the kids that were born 40 and 50 years later after that survived, you know, the famine and, and were born and grew to adulthood, 100% of them, became obese, had cardiovascular disease, had schizophrenia, uh, all these things. How come? Because in utero, according to Dr. Barker, he speculated that that child, because humans over 300,000 years had learned to adjust their metabolism in utero to anticipate the environment that they would be born and live into because kids usually die before the age of 10. Everybody did. I mean, they, you know, the average age was 40, but that's infant mortality to the, you know, 5 60-year-olds that live. So it, it, it is that they were anticipating that there would be a 10-year famine. So you had to be stingy. It was called the thrifty phenotype, is that you had to be stingy with calories and grab on and hold on to them. Well, these kids that were born in the Netherlands after the Dutch famine – the, the Canadian Royal Air Force dropped in lard and butter and all these starches and fats. And these kids ate like crazy. Well, over time, it led to something called metabolic syndrome <laughs> and all the disease that followed. Well, now we know that. Well, oxygen, if women don't breathe right during pregnancy, there's something called gestational apnea. And your audience will be the first to probably know about this. If a woman doesn't breathe right, and this is a hypothesis we're testing uh, at various graduate programs in orthodontics throughout the country, their their jaws will be small, not just their, their, you know, small for gestational age and preterm birth are two consequences of a woman who might have sleep apnea during pregnancy. In addition to folic acid, that's important, nutrition, in addition to yoga and, and having healthy activity, sleep and breathing for, in pregnancy can impact that child. And that child, if a mom isn't breathing right, that kid might think they're being born on top of the Andes Mountains where the air is thin. So have you ever seen mountain people? They're tiny. And they'll be born small. That That is an experiment that was inadvertently done, uh, that, that people born on mountains are, are smaller than people, you know, that same mom. If she gives birth at, at altitude at, at sea level, that kid's going to be bigger. Who knew that? Who would put that together? And it, you know, it wasn't me. I, I just I, some dentists who were criticized for for over speculating uh, and aren't aren't alive now. Um, they're the ones who came came up with that. I just developed it a little bit. But uh, interesting connections that that just need to be made and these platforms like what you have Ed and Wendy this this is going to help this I I always get emails from people after these forums and I get I learn so much from your audience I'm going to learn from people Uh, hopefully they'll get something from me too
2: in the research that you were just talking about is there um you know when you're talking about pregnant women because they're they're also having a lot more progesterone in the body, which is a respiratory stimulant. So is there, are you looking at that too and how that plays into it or any concern? I will
1: now, Wendy. Ah! I will now. <laughs> no, no, I, you just, I rest my case. I mean, this is something, you know what? And if you Google it, you can probably find something in, in, and I don't care if it's scientific, not, cause I can dig into the science. I have access to the most comprehensive scientific database in the world, by virtue of being a visiting scholar at Penn, I, I can I can look up anything from any time. So please, you know, where you came up with that, you just connected something, and and I, I I'd like to help you pers- pursue it. Uh, that, that's really amazing. Thank you for that.
2: Yeah, because there you know there's there's several times for women when progesterone levels are higher. So um, even menopause, you know, I I often look at like now I'm dealing with that too. So I look at that and. So women's breath rates increase because of the progesterone. So, and then I think, well, how is that feeding into women with heart disease? So I think, you know, there's a hormonal yeah. component to look at this with what's going on at the body at different stages too.
1: So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was not totally unaware of that. Um, you know, just the fact that I'm asking parents, you know, I'd like to see an ultrasound or what? And then as soon as I show them some things and, you know, the way that we got this uh, committee at, uh, one of the out east uh, orthodontic residencies uh, in the city of Boston was showing in my own practice of kids who's needed this non-surgical distraction widening and advancement and what they look like on the ultrasound. Um, it's it's just, you know, it's a very small sample size. It's not scientific yet, and it may never be, but it, it's a, it's a hypothesis worth exploring. And, and even what you just, you know, offered uh, by the progesterone possible length that that could figure into what we're going to look at later on. So uh, I I really appreciate that.
0: Wow. You are simply an amazing wealth of knowledge. When is there a theme to the patients that you're seeing today and, 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 there is a practical application to to what you're seeing walk through your office doors on a regular basis, Kev? Well, it, it really,
1: I don't get many what I call free range or garden variety pediatric patients. I mean, somebody who just moved to the neighborhood and saw my sign or they went to their pediatrician and they got a list and I'm on the list or one of their neighbors, you know, go to him. Very, it's, I would say it's, Probably less than 10% of new patients that are coming to me um, are because it's just random they want their kids gums and jaws and rule out tooth decay and gum disease and um, which is important okay and, and that's really the bulk of what I did for the first 15, 20 years of my career. Um, it just most people know about me and it, you know I asked the other day my office manager, because I I'd gone on vacation and then I just got back from UCLA, uh, where I spent three quality days with our mutual friend James Nestor. Um, he actually attended the meeting as a registrant um, because we'd never met in person, mm-hmm. and he saw the the people on the you, you know David Gozal, who you may or may not have heard of, but he's a pediatric sleep medicine physician who was invited uh, you know to speak at um, Oh, actually, sorry, that was Kentucky, but the week after was UCLA, Um, and there's mostly anthropologists and physicians uh, that were at that meeting, and James wanted to rub shoulders with those people because, you know, he he sort of, he and I both are are really into the anthropological aspect of all this stuff, and we've talked, and and he's invited me to venues. Um, Apparently, the BBC is going to be airing a a podcast that that he invited me to recently. but we'd never met in person, mm-hmm. so we had three wonderful lunch sessions together, and um, I don't know. I my my staff told me, you know, we just put um, referral source James Nestor, and uh, it, it's surprising how many people come just by him having mentioned me a few times in his book.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: and the other thing is a more myofunctional therapists. A lot of people don't even I didn't know this specialty it existed, and it's it's mostly. Uh, dental hygienists, speech pathologists, and physical therapists, and some dentists actually, um, that learn about this uh, and help kids put their lips and tongues in the right place. While I'm building a house for the tongue to live in, and I can't, I can't live without them. I, you know, so that's where a lot of referrals come from. Um, I'm going to make some suggestions. Steve Karstensen, um is in Seattle. He's a brilliant general dentist doesn't treat kids but knows more about pediatric airway wellness than most pediatric specialists in any healthcare profession and organized the whole pediatric airway wellness symposium at the American Dental Association. Um, and Lauren Ballinger is a pediatric dentist in Massachusetts who's on the task force, you know, with me on the faculty at the ADA. Uh, and we have a consortium we set up at the beginning of the pandemic pandemic that we call the Endeavor named after uh, the Charles Darwin, or not Charles Darwin, but Captain James Cook, the first scientific vessel, the SS HMS Endeavor in the 18th century. And so that's, and it's all pediatric dentists, orthodontists, general dentists, and myofunctional therapist. Nestor actually has lectured to us, but you may want to um, get some of the Endeavor members. And certainly if you've not had Nestor on, you probably have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and also Steve Carsonson, who's part of the endeavor as well. Uh, You you want to get some of these people on. They're all visionaries and they would love to be part of this. I'm sure.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So we've got this, this breathing thing that takes place (laughs) 20,000 times a day, comes in and out through the nose. It happens on its own if we don't want to control it. And then we've got the skeletal structure of the skull and and the face, and we have this oxygen distribution, and we have the structures around the brain. How can we harness these the science that's coming up today in the most effective way to leave some really good seeds behind us for the next generation to grow this awareness?
1: Well, one of the ways you can grow the, the awareness, and obviously you're not afraid to, Inadvertently piss somebody off. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's for a good reason. Yeah. And That I had a lady yesterday, and I have her baby. You know, three and a half, four year old. And yeah, this kid really. Wow, this is the poster child. I mean, the the jaws narrow, the palate is high. There's lip tie, there's tongue tie. Uh, the kid wets the bed. The kid snores. The kid sweats. They can't wake herself up in the morning. Um, they want to put her on ADD meds, and so, you know, this is great. You know, i i just she she's read about me, she's she knows. We we you know when I do the consultation I show the before and afters. I, I've got a list, a huge list of parents that that say, look, if a parent comes in here doubting what you know the veracity of what you're doing, please have them call me because you made believers out of us just by you know helping our kid and, and we're grateful. And um, I said you know, to this, you know, about the treatment, and she goes to the front desk, and and then she says, oh, Dr. Boyd, would you please write a note so that I can um, tell the school board that she has respiratory issues and shouldn't wear a mask, and I said, unequivocally, I will not do that, and in fact, she's supposed to have her mask on now. Now, a lot of people don't know it. A dental office is the safest place to be in the world during a pandemic (laughs) because of, well, it is because of AIDS. And, and hepatitis B in the 70s and 80s, the mandate from the CDC for dental offices, we have the best control, infection control in the world than anybody. And we're on steroids now with it. So, but I said, no. In fact, you know what? I have additional motivation and you should too, to get your child to become habitual nose breather because nitric oxide is the most powerful antimicrobial that you can get from mother nature, and it resides in your own nasal, paranasal sinus complex. When you inspire, you create turbulence, the turbinates, which causes L-arginine and amino acid to turn into pre-nitric oxide synthase, which synthesizes nitric oxide, which opens up alveoli in the lungs. What takes, you know, uh, oxygen crossing into the alveoli to get into the hepatic portal system, to the brain, It kills bacteria, fungus, coronavirus. I don't know if it works against the variant, but why take a chance? Inhale and exhale through the nose. You know this, warmth and humidification of the air. It doesn't happen through orally inspired junk food air. Nasally inspired air is health food air. And that's what you can do for your child. I'm not writing a letter. If I lose you as a patient, I will help transfer your child seamlessly to somebody who is in L.A., Ed, uh, Bill Hang, you're going to have to travel to L.A. to guarantee you're going to get what I can give, or Boston, where, uh, you know, uh, Lauren, Lauren Ballinger is, and a couple others. But I, you know what? They never leave me. Uh, point well taken. Hopefully she'll start wearing a mask. So you can impact people that way by just getting under their skin a little bit in a good way. Yeah. This is how I can help you and your child. Wear a mask. I also got a uh, ad from a newspaper in 1919 that says, wear a mask, and all the lists why men won't wear masks because it's too feminine. Women don't need convincing. Uh, I'll send it to you. It's a great slide. <laughs> well, nothing new under the sun.
0: Can you explain a, a little bit uh, of the bullet points that we need to be aware of? in regard to what is the physiological and psychological differences between nostril breathing and mouth breathing? And why why do we need to be in this nasal dominance uh, throughout our life?
1: Well, warmth, humidification, humidification, nitric oxide, and, you know, mechanical filtration. I mean, there, there's just all these things that don't happen. Um, you're probably into yoga or meditation. I mean, you know what ujjayi breathing is. Well, right. They never talk you know, what, what yoga instructor talks about nitric oxide. They should. Um, if mm-hmm. you've not had Patrick McEwen on yet and talking about you take a breathing, you know, he will. Th- he knows about ujjayi breathing. And so it just just the actual, what you did at the beginning at that was beautiful to get people to relax, to calm down, breathe through your nose. And I, I don't know what else to tell you. It, and also growth hormone. I really try to shame little kids into, uh, you know, going through with this treatment and wearing a reverse full face mask to help the jaw come forward. Mm-hmm. Hey, dude, you want to be four foot ten the rest of your life? Growth hormone surges when you're breathing through your nose while you're sleeping. I mean, sleep, breathing, and living in the Northern Hemisphere between May and October, growth hormone surges in adults and kids. That's why kids never look the same from when they get out in the spring and go back in the fall. They're all taller. And you can you can play into the kid. You want to perform better in your sport, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to be a nose breather. So there's there's all kinds of things you can do. I would say growth hormone and nitric oxide are the things that you can really get people's attention. On. Mm-hmm. The person who discovered nitric oxide as being a vasodilator is responsible for why you take nitroglycerin for angina. Won a Nobel mm-hmm. Prize for it. It's the same mechanism.
0: That is amazing. I got a question for you, uh, Kev, which reverse headgear do you recommend?
1: You know, I really don't talk about um, protocols and that I, that, that we teach. We have a, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a dentist or, or a monofunctional therapist, you can sign up. You know, I'm not trying to drum up business here because we're setting learning centers, learning networks all over the country. But if somebody asks me, what, what expander do you use? What are you, you know what? I use reverse traction for a reason. I want you to think about the problem. Obviously, whoever asked that question understands it's a problem. You don't need an underbite to, to need reverse pole headgear or, or, or one that, that is obvious. That's almost a blessing. When you see a kid with an underbite, Jay Leno had a borderline underbite at four years old. Somebody could have fixed that. Somebody could have prevented that, but he's probably wouldn't be famous now. So but, but it really is, you don't, so whoever that question is very, ask that question is very astute, but it depends on the kid. And it's not just that. If the kid has vertical long face tendency, you must suppress that vertical growth development before you introduce any type of reversible headgear. So it, it, it's a thought process. And so I, I don't do that because then again, people will start doing it. And then, oh my God, I put him in a headgear and his long face got worse. Void's a quack. No, you must learn how to think about this. And I would be, I'd be guilty. Yeah. Just not going to do that. And I, I'm sorry. I, This could be somebody who has that that already knows all that stuff, but I don't know that. And if you want to email my office, then dent, uh, it's dentistry, the number four children dot no dentistry for children. Dot Um, you can put it up or kbo569 at gmail.com is my personal email. Um, Google me and and I'll give you all the info you need. And if you can't join our course, um, we will tell you someone else in your community who's either already doing this or already took our course. um, And I'll help anybody get this going
0: locally. Awesome. But it it seems to me that, Everything seems to run off of what's going on right here. And this seems to be news to people. Uh, What's up with that? (laughs) Well, again, going back a hundred years in the
1: Journal of the American Medical Association and the Boston Journal of Surgery and Medicine, which is now called NEJM, they talk about something called the outer face and the inner face. Mm -hmm. We've been two-faced for a all of our existence, okay? And what I say is the front of the airway is the external face. That What you see is what you get. The back of the face is the airway. And again, I have scientific literature that backs this up. And if you want the face to be the most beautiful, attractive face that you can get, it must be one that projects to the eye of the beholder subconsciously that that person breathes through their nose. And that's called Darwinian sexual selection. It's attractive. You know the the full cheekbones, the full upper lip, those the strong lower jaw, those are some those are people that tend to be habitual nose breathers and that will carry children well. It's called Darwinian sexual selection or evolutionary fitness. They will survive childhood, thrive long enough to re- age of reproduction, and live long enough beyond to get their offspring into the next generation. You must create this, and it used to mean, That's the only way you're going to get out of childhood. You may not make it to age of reproduction. You might not make it to 10. Most people didn't. Read another thing your audience should know about. It's called the um, health span, not lifespan, health span, all one word, H-E-A-L-T-H-S-P-A-N, the health span imperative. And watch the 10-minute video narrated by none other than, oh, my God, Martha Stewart. It is wonderful, scientifically accurate. And there's also from Jay Olshansky, who I believe is an epidemiologist at the University of Illinois locally, who is very interested, at least he says he is, but can't do anything to 2022, but stay tuned, to work with me to increase children's health spans and lifespans by optimizing airway structure and function at the earliest possible age, preferably before the age of six. So, watch that. It's a great video. The health span imperative. Uh, it's it's an amazing movement that's going on in health healthcare right now. That's increasing awesome. the amount of lifespan life expectancy from birth, and increasing the amount of time that that child will stay healthy into old age, and hopefully die quickly at one hundred and six. Okay, and every kid now, even with the pandemic correction, will live to be over a hundred. Uh, kids who are born from 2015 forward are projected to live over a hundred years old. Wow. wow. See what happens. If we're still Amazing. here as a species.
2: <laughs> it's, it's how it's how we live. It's great that we're living longer, but yeah.
1: It's how we live in early childhood. Right. And sleep apnea uncorrected in early childhood just came out, American Heart Association. Um, they will be very susceptible to hypertension and other cardiovascular defects. Uh, problems that that will persist into adolescence and adulthood. Um, I'll, again, I'll I'll send any literature that I'm quoting here, but it's there. Google it.
2: <clears throat> uh, yeah, one of the things I'll just boast for Eddie for a second. One of the initiatives um, that's going on with us, and so you can even share this, Kev, with your audience. Yeah, is um, is Eddie has created a whole um, breathwork platform on Goldie Hawn's Mind Up. Um, organ for Goldie Hawn's Mind Up organization, and it's dedicated to teachers and parents, so that they can start to l- start to learn to breathe better, and then also teach their children to learn to breathe better. So um, that actually gets launched on September. I'd like, 6th. I'd,
1: I'd like to join that club. That that sounds amazing. Uh, really, I mean, anything I can do, uh, let me know. Uh, not Thank. that I need more to do, but you know, it's I'm picking and choosing things and. I'm, I'm trying to practice less. It's It's kind of hard getting out of practice when Nestor's got my uh, schedule building. So, uh, But it's go. a good problem to have. I'm hiring more people, getting more space. Uh, yeah, it's great. great. Great place we're in right now.
0: It is. Well, Kev, I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your life to share this unbelievable, rich knowledge with our audience. And gosh, you are just an American treasure and I am so lucky to be alive Thank you. Thank you. when Thank you. the time you were alive. This is powerful, and you really are making profound changes and shifts in awarenesses that are going to last generational, and it's going to make just a, a much more better species. So I really appreciate you, the work that you've done, and I, I wish you nothing but every success moving forward.
1: Thanks, Ed and Wendy. You know, a real honor to be with you guys, and you know, please, Wendy, keep keep me in mind uh, as you move forward with the launching of your new platform. Uh, Thank you. Excellent. Okay, you guys, nice. gotta go to another Thank one you, now. everyone. But, uh, have a great weekend. Thank and, you. Uh, see you. So, where are you guys located again? Utah. We're, we're in Utah. Whereabouts?
2: About a half hour outside Salt Lake City, in a Oh mountain- my God! Yeah.
1: Hey. Boy, I'd love to come out. I go skiing there sometimes with my daughter who's in Denver. So uh, maybe we can meet sometime. Oh, Before for stay, sure. Just Please. stay with us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? It. We might take you up on it. Please do. Plenty your room. <laughs> All right. Likewise, if you're in Chicago, let's go to dinner. Thank
2: you.
0: I appreciate okay, you. Guys. Thank you. Thanks, Kev. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.